You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. As we continue our series in James today, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And you may go, Pastor Dwayne, we're in a James series. What are you doing in John? I know it begins with J, but is it a Canadian translation thing? What is that? So... James, when you look at James, you realize that James is echoing the words of Jesus. There are so many parallels to the Sermon on the Mount, and even today, as we stand together celebrating Pentecost, we are celebrating with the body of Christ, his church, all around the world. And so today, as we continue this James series, I thought nothing would be more fitting than turning to the book of John, John chapter 16. Because as we look at this, look at all of the things that James said that echoed the words of Jesus. You know, we started off the series by talking about the count it all joy when you fall in trials, for this is for the testing of your faith, that you would be perfect and lacking nothing. So James said that, but who also said that? Jesus. So the answer is always Jesus. Ask any kindergartner. The answer to every question is Jesus. Jesus said that, okay? James said that God is the source of wisdom, and he gives it to us. Who else said that? Jesus, yeah. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. James said it, and so did. You're learning. James talked about God's heart for the poor and marginalized. Who else said that? Jesus. Jesus. You all deserve a Starbucks card today, right? And he goes down, blessed are the peacemakers. James says you cannot serve God and be friends with the world. James says be slow to judge. And he also says to tame your tongue. And who also said all those things? Jesus. Jesus. Give yourselves a hand this morning, yeah. You know the answer. You are smarter than a fifth grader. Okay? (laughs) I'm not, but you are. But the key in this and how this ties in today, the Pentecost, is that in all of these things, we know that when God calls us to something, he doesn't just call us to something that he knows you're never going to do it. Right? Like, if Jesus said to me today, Dwayne, I want you to take the basketball like you played over this this weekend, and I want you to slam dunk it on that 10-foot hoop. Now, apart from the divine intervention, that's not going to happen. Jesus does not call us to do things, and he's not called me to do that. Jesus does not call us to things without empowering us and enabling us. And when we look at this today, we see that in all these things, the things that he's called us to do, to count of joy and testing because it strengthens our faith, to tame our tongue, to be slow to judge, to be quick to listen, to help those around us, to love our neighbors, the only way that we can do this is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 16. And if you're following along today, I'm using the ESV version, the English Standard Version, okay? It says here in John 16, it says, I have said all these things to you, this is Jesus speaking, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Then he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, and pay attention to what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, Because the ruler of this world is judged. In verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Listen to that. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and declare it to you. Would you join me as we dive in now to God's word, asking the Lord to make our heart just fertile, soft ground to receive, and allow him to speak to us, through me, through all of us, as we, un- as we understand. Are you ready to receive from the Lord today? Father, we lift our hands to you as a sign of surrender. Lord, declaring, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. We are all servants of the Most High God. So, Lord, take your word today. Let it be implanted in our heart. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let the words that I say flow from you, O God. Empty me of anything that is not pleasing to you. Empty my life of anything that is not of you so that I can be a vessel, your temple, that you can flow through. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So as we're talking about Pentecost today on this Pentecost Sunday and looking at the scripture, there are three key things that we're going to harvest into today. First of all, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background to Pentecost and to what it means very quickly But then I'm going to be focusing on these final two points. I'm going to be focusing on the challenge, the challenge of staying with Jesus. Jesus identifies this. There's a challenge in staying with Jesus, isn't it? And then secondly, I'm going to talk about the answer, because these are two of the key things that Jesus identifies. He said there's a challenge in in staying, there's a challenge in walking, there's a challenge in following, but he always gives the answer. And the answer that Jesus gives is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. So very quickly this morning, Pentecost. How many of you have heard of Pentecost before? Okay. Pentecost is something that it started off as a Jewish festival. It was the second of three harvest festivals. And during this time of year, it was a pilgrimage where they would come to Jerusalem. And so you had a lot of people present here. But for us, as we look at it, we recognize that this is also the birth of the Christian church. See, Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. Pentecost literally means 50, comes from that word. But when we look at what we're talking about today with Jesus, Jesus had commanded his disciples to go together and to gather together and to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He said, you heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so back then they went and waited, and in the upper room there were about 120 men and women gathered, waiting in obedience to what Jesus had said. In Acts 2, 1 1 through verse 4, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that what Jesus had promised had happened, and said they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then following that, Peter went out and preached a sermon. Remember Peter? The one who denied Christ three times, the one who had so many problems, now filled with boldness, he goes out and preaches, and 3,000 people give their life to Christ. How powerful is that? 3,000 people gathered together, looking at them, listening to them. And the Christian church was born. When you look at all the theologians, they all, they all attest to this fact That Pentecost is the first mention in the New Testament as an occasion of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples of Christ. And this marks the beginning of the Christian church. Acts 2.42, it starts to begin to explain about what it means for that. Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Lord, fill our hearts with awe and wonder for you. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. By day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the beginning of the Christian church. And as they were coming together, they were creating this community that everybody wanted to be a part of. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Going to the synagogue and worshiping, being in the homes, breaking bread. Do you have a need? Let me help you. How many of you found the joy in doing that? 
and just giving and just helping. And not only that, even receiving, being in a community that you're like, you know, if I have a need, I can go to my brother, I can go to my sister, and I can just bear my soul, and that they are there ready to help me. Do you enjoy that kind of community? This is the body of Christ. This is what it means to gather together and to be together. But Jesus identified that there's a big challenge because as great as that is, and you may say, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to come in and enjoy that fellowship? There's a challenge in staying with Christ. And Jesus warns us at the very beginning of this book of John, John 16, 1, he says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. See, falling away is one of the most dangerous things that can happen to us as followers of Christ, as Jesus' followers. We are attracted by all the good things that come with Christianity because when, when you look at it, Christianity has a lot of great things to offer. I think it's the greatest thing ever, obviously, about preaching it and talking about it, but it has so many things that are very appealing. First of all, the Bible talks about how we have this friendship with God. God affords to us this friendship with him, the God, the maker of the universe, the maker of all things, the one who controls all things. He says, I want to be your friend. And he said, I want to be a friend that will never leave you and never forsake you. Do you get how deep that invitation is? He didn't say, I want to be your Facebook friend. <laughs> that I'll just give you status updates, what's going on. He said, I want to be your friend. What's going on in your life? Being there. Revealing to you the will. Christianity, we are afforded now through the Holy Spirit, empowered living. We can know God and walk with him. Through God, we know where we came from, we know where we are today, and we know where we're going. How's that for a GPS? God-powered, you can make up the S in there, okay? We know where we are, we know where we're going. And not only that, the power of the gospel, we're forgiven of all of our sins. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, we've all rejected God. You know, Paul said, of which I am chief, and I could say, man, I'm right there with you. But God comes in, he forgives us, and he empowers us, and he enables us to walk. And through, the, through Christianity, through Jesus, he always puts us together in community. It's family. It's coming together. But Jesus identifies there is a cost, and the cost always surprises us. We, we see this wonderful thing, maybe it's in a storefront window, or maybe it's on Amazon. You go on, you go, man, that's amazing. And then the cost comes up, you're like, What? That costs that much? It's just a hockey stick. Very important, though. See, we love the benefits, but we struggle with the cost. And the gospel will cost you. And what does the gospel cost us? Everything. It's, it is full surrender. There's no partial payment plan. There's no layaway plan. How many even know what layaway is? You remember that? My mom I said layaway. I'm like, you guys don't know what layaway is, <laughs> all right? So layaway, it's not a theological term. What layaway is, like way back in the day, parents would take something for their kids for Christmas or whatever, and they would lay it away, they put a down payment, and they would slowly pay it off so that by Christmas or their birthday, then it was ready to go. Okay? So we don't have that. <laughs> There's a cost. It's full surrender. It's giving him everything. Because see, this is the greatest thing in the world, and it's full, it's all in. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, Jesus transforms us by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is transformed us. It is a taking over. Because again, he is God of everything. He is king, and a king does not share their throne with anything. He's either God or he's not of your life. And this often surprises people, but when we surrender our lives to Christ, there is a difference when there is a new ownership in your life, when God comes in, there is a difference, and your life will always be marked by this difference. Because now in my life, when I gave my life to Christ, there was a big difference because now Dwayne wasn't in control. Jesus was in control of my life. And it, it changed everything about me. When I surrendered to Christ, my speech became different. Was it, per, was it perfect? All my friends would tell you no. But it was a lot better. What happened to me is now I would say things and the Holy Spirit would begin to speak to me and like, that's not the speech that I have for you. And the Lord began to correct it in my life. See, I had a big anger problem as a child. Okay? I would get very mad. I had kids that would pick on me. 
They would bully me. They would do things to me. And so for me, I'm not saying it's a scriptural mandate, but like David, I would get rocks. <laughs> and, I would, and I would throw them. And my mom came out, and she saw this fit of rage from kids calling me names, teasing me, whatever. And she began to pray over my life. How many praying mamas do we have in this place today? She began to pray, and I thank God. I thank God for that. And she just prayed and she said, Dwayne, in the name of Jesus, that is not of you. And God began to do a work. Now, have I gotten ang- angry since then? Yes. But I'm a lot better since then, and I've laid aside my response to that. This is the work of Christ, walking in ways, speaking to you. My priorities changed. How I spent my time changed. How I planned my future changed. Because see, the challenge is when we surrender our lives to Christ and there's no change, something's off because it is a full surrender. It's like when you get married. When I got married to Stephanie, my life changed for the better. My life changed because now my time was different. Because now I'm married, the two become one. My priorities began to get different. And with each step of commitment along the way, things changed. As our family grew, as we began children, everything affects that. And it's the same thing here with our walk with Christ. It is full surrender, all in. Jesus, what would you have me do? And that changes everything because before, I wasn't walking with Christ. Now I am, and he's leading me. The books I read, the things I look at, it changes. And when it's not on mark, the Holy Spirit comes in to say, this is not right, and there's a struggle going on, and I walk with that. But this is full surrender. And Jesus says in this, and he identifies, he says these things. I'm telling you these things so that you will not fall away. So what are these things that Jesus is referring to? He's laid out some pretty big things. And theologian Charles Swindoll says it this way. He says these things refer to everything Jesus had to say about the believer's relationship to the world, which is strained at best, hostile at other times, and can become even destructive. Jesus revealed this to the disciples so that they would not be startled and to stumble in their spiritual walk. Here's some of the things that Jesus identified. The first thing he said is that the world will hate you. The world will hate you. See, we are called to be in the world. And there's a lot of things I love about this world. I love hiking around Mount Rainier. Okay? And I love, here's a coffee reference, I love the coffee that's in our culture. (laughs) There's a lot of things that I love about it, but we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We love our neighbor, but we are not of the world. This is not our final destination. And Jesus says, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. But then Jesus moves on, and he says that the church will hate you. On John 16, 2, Jesus said, they will kick you out of the synagogue, your church. They will kick you out. And then in in, uh, verse 2 and 3, he continues. He said, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Think about the martyrs that have filled our history. People who have done horrific things thinking they were serving God. And Jesus is saying, you need to be careful because these things can cause you to fall away, to stray away. And then Jesus says, In Matthew 10, he even says that even your own family may hate you. Matthew 10 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my sake. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. But see, Jesus identifies something. He's he's saying that a lack of surrender to Christ will cause you to fall away. 2 Timothy 3, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness, there's a form there, but denying its power, denying its power. These, and these things confuse us when we see them. Have you ever seen this working and it just confuses you? You're going, how can that be? What's happening here? 
But we have a surrender issue. And Jesus identified this. And the great pastor and theologian Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, if Jesus is not all to you, then he is nothing to you. Say that again. If Jesus is not all to you, then he is nothing to you. We had somebody on our team, basketball team, growing up one time. And this person struggled with running the plays. The coach would call the play. Three, three. And we would all line up. And he would come up and just shoot it. We're like... Do you three? <laughs> what happened to that, that player? They were rebelling. They came off the team. They weren't even willing to submit to the coach. How much more important in our walk with Christ? He's calling us. He's, he's showing us the way. And he's saying, I'm telling you what to do. And he's like, wait a minute. I called three. <laughs> That's not even in the playbook. It's surrendering full all the way because, see, the gospel is full surrender. It demands all of you. Why is this so important? You know, I tend to think about it like an anchor. How many of you know what an anchor is? You didn't know what layaway was, but you know what an anchor is? Okay. I had a privilege just a couple weeks ago to go out fishing in the beautiful San Juans with a friend of mine. And we went out, had a wonderful day of just fishing and just getting and hanging out with him and his friends. Then at night, we pulled into this little harbor, pretty shallow, out of the wind. And it may seem pretty safe, but you know what the first thing he did? He secured his anchor. Why? Because if the anchor is not set, it may look fine when you're up and you're finishing your meal, but when you go to bed at night, if you're not anchored, you don't know if you're on the rocks or not. You don't know if your boat's being damaged or not. And he told me about how when he first got his boat, he would set his anchor. He couldn't sleep at night. Because all night long, anything that would hit the side of the boat, he's like, is my anchor slipping? Is my anchor slipping? And so I watched him as he's putting the anchor down, and he had one of his buddies that goes out with him all the time watching him. Is it set? Let's test it. Is it there? Are you hearing what I'm saying today? It is our anchor. It's an anchor for our soul that cannot be moved because he knew that no matter what happened, even when we were sleeping, if something happened, if the anchor is set, we are safe. We're not going to go on the rocks. We're not going to be pulled off. The boat is not going to be damaged because our anchor is set. Just putting it down is not enough. If it's just sandy, that anchor is going to pull the way along. It needs to be set and hooked into something strong. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ because, see, the challenge is great. We've all witnessed loved ones who have left Christ. We've all witnessed teenagers who they've, they've grown up in the church, and then they go to college, and they're gone. The anchor's not set. The anchor's not set. The truth coming alive. Does that break your heart this morning? The truth. I've, wit- I've witnessed this even in my extended family, friends of mine. And Jesus is warning us. He says, there's a great challenge. You come in, it's exciting, it's great. But it's full surrender. And what's our answer to the challenge? Here, Jesus gives us the answer. The answer to this challenge is the empowered living through the Holy Spirit. This is the answer that Jesus gave. It's not the answer that I'm giving today. This is the answer that Jesus gave. And he even said it this way. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, when I first read this, I said, Jesus, how is it to my advantage that you go away? You're the greatest. You know everything. You're Jesus. You're my Lord. Why is it to my advantage that you go away? But he goes on in verse 7, and he says, For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we cannot fulfill the mission of Christ His mission to go into every part of the world, locally, everywhere, and make disciples of Christ without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is not just walking beside us. The disciples were very comfortable with Jesus right here. You go do it, Jesus. You got it. I can be a great cheerleader. I can say, Stephanie, you take care of the kids. You're going to do a great job. You make all their meals. You go off. You clean up after them all the time. I'll be over here drinking coffee and reading books. Is that going to work very long? No. (laughs) She's like, what? 
Because we are not cheerleaders. We're not building this fandom of Christ. It is him alive in us, the Holy Spirit alive in us, now taking charge and using us. That's why Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power, that dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, and when God says power, that's different than my kind of power. Isn't it? His power is limitless. It is endless. It is all wise, all knowing, and it fills us and it shows us. The power of the gospel is that Jesus is not a part of our lives. The power of the gospel is that Jesus is our life. He fills us and enables us. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. He says, The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. It's the Holy Spirit. See, the teachings of James, all these things that we've been studying into, they cannot be accomplished without the Holy Spirit. Joy through trials. Doers of the world. Show no favoritism, no partiality. Faith without works is dead. This is all through the workings of the Holy Spirit. And James even spends a lot of time, and so do we, on taming the tongue. James, in chapter 3, verse 8, says it this way. He says, no human being, that's all of us, can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. So he's saying it again. Tame the tongue, but you can't do it. It is restless. It is full of evil. But now Jesus is showing us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is how your tongue is tamed. And it's even interesting that the first initial physical evidence was the controlling of their tongues as they began to give utterance. Because see, this is the hardest thing to tame. Because when you're not controlled by the Spirit, there's a lot of history going on, isn't there? There are things that make you angry and you want to say it. And sometimes there are things... Have you ever heard somebody say something in anger to somebody and it ends up in your mouth being said to somebody else? You're going, how did that get there? Or am I the only sinner here today? Right? Have you ever said something to somebody that you swore you would never say before? Have you ever had a response and go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I don't even know where that that came from. See, Jesus is showing us that our lives are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit alive in us. Our tongue needs to be controlled by the Holy Spirit into being what James describes as a rudder that guides us, that gives direction. It's a fire that lights the way for us and others, that gives warmth and helps people who are cold and lonely. This is why we have communications tool. Not to curse people, but to bless people. But we need the Lord empowered in us because we've all messed up. We've all said things that we wish we could pull back. We need the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, filling us. This is why Jesus said, you will receive power. So what is Jesus meaning when he says, when the Holy Spirit has come up on you? See, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, his Spirit fills us. And I think sometimes there's this confusion to where, we, where we, we, we think, well, I already gave my life to Christ. His spirit is inside of us. What's this you're talking about today? See, Jesus is talking to his disciples who are already filled with the spirit, and he said that earlier. What Jesus is talking about is an empowerment for mission. So who's the Holy Spirit? John 16 reveals to us that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an It. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, is the third person of the Trinity. And listen to just this not complete list of everything that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has been identified in Scripture as being our helper. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us. The Holy Spirit shows us how to pray. Have you ever gone before the Lord and you're like, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I'm so desperate, God. Show me how to pray. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. The Holy Spirit, it regenerates us. When we are weak, he is strong. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us. The Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit, it comforts us. It's an advocate for us. How many of you want an advocate today? The Holy Spirit is your advocate. The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth, and it convicts all of us. It convicts Dwayne of sin that when I miss the mark, when I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, that's not the right way. Go that way, Dwayne. I need that. I have four kids. I need direction in my life. If you've hiked very long without a map and gotten lost, you know how important it is to have someone saying, that's the wrong trail. And I'd rather be told now than to find the destruction of the path later and have the backtrack and go back. I've done that. It's it's not fun. It's not good. I don't advise it. Let the Holy Spirit control you and be alive in you and say, you're getting off that way. I know that looks like the wrong way to go by going up over that ridge, but trust me, that's the way you want to go. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But I also love how it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit, it seals us as a guarantee. Have you ever been insecure in your walk with God? You're like, God, are you really there? God, is that really you? I'm trying to hear. I'm trying to listen, God. The Holy Spirit, it seals our hearts and shows us that he is there. Corinthians says it's a guarantee It's a guarantee that the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because see, I'm going to say it again. The disciples, they already had the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them in John 20. But now Jesus is saying there's an empowerment. There's an empowerment for the mission to come up. And Jesus is now affording us this gift of empowerment for the missions to make disciples. Because we cannot do the mission without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do the mission that God has called us to without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is very clear in this. One theologian said it this way. He said that before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples faltered. Upon the arrest of Jesus, they fled. During the crucifixion, most of them hid. And before his resurrection, there were those that doubted. It was only after receiving the Holy Spirit that they acted decisively, and they spoke boldly. They spoke boldly. See, this is the subsequent work of the Holy Spirit enabling us and empowering us, leading us, guiding us like a rudder on a ship. See, this work of the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to identify today that this work is for all of us. Who does all include? Everybody. It's for everybody. It is for everybody. It's an empowerment and it's a gift, and we, we cannot earn it. This is not a gift that we earn. And I'm so glad that in the things that Jesus gives us, he says, you can't earn it because I can't pay for it. It is also, and hear me on this, this subsequent work of the Holy Spirit, it is not this marker of spiritual elitism. I have the subsequent work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Watch out. Here I come. Who does God oppose? The proud. (laughs) So this is not elitism. This is not a better than. And it's something that is not just for extroverts. See, in all of our lives, we need boldness. But we need boldness that is directed and empowered by God. Not our pride. See, boldness without God is prideful and what Proverbs calls foolish, leading to destruction. We need boldness, but it needs to be accompanied by humility, and it needs to be directed by God. Boldness without God is just a clanging symbol. It's worthless. We face so many things in our life that as I look at it, I'm like, God, I need your wisdom. I, I, I got nothing here. Have you been there? You're standing before a friend. You're standing before a family. You're standing before a loved one, or you're standing in the mirror looking back at yourself. <laughs> oh, God. God, I'm looking at Dwayne, but I got nothing here. I need you. I need your power to be alive in me. See, Ephesians 6.12 says it this way. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, sometimes it would be a lot easier for us to think, well, if it's a physical battle... We can come over and make a little tool here. We can get this tool here. We can do that. Or we can craft these words around it. But that's not where our battle lies. 
Our battle is spiritual because the battle is the Lord's. Remember, Jesus is every answer. The battle is the Lord's. But here's the thing. Jesus is the answer. But how many of you, you've known the answer, but you didn't know how to get there? Right? If all we do is say Jesus, it's like cheating on a test and going, oh, that's the answer. I'll write down Jesus. Turn it in. The Holy Spirit guides us from here to there. The answer for our life is Jesus. He guides us. He empowers us. He enables us. He reveals all truth to us. The answer for our city is Jesus. But if we just walk out and say the answer is Jesus and walk away, we've already identified that that's not what we're called to do. If we see someone hungry, we don't feed them. If we see someone who needs clothes, then we don't clothe them. If we're not loving those that are marginalized around us, that's not the gospel of Christ. Because the answer is not just Jesus. The answer is to be like Jesus, to be transformed. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is to be men and women of God that our tongue is controlled by God. And I'm telling you, we're in a culture where if it's ever been difficult to control your tongue, we're in it and we're experiencing it. Because here's what's happening. And even in the light of what's happening, even right now, do you realize that these shootings that have taken place, it's the 22nd shooting this year so far. And I want you to focus in because this is very difficult to talk about. Because words are misunderstood. But this is very appropriate today as we talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to really lean into me today. And I've prayed, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. These things are going on as the body of Christ. We need to talk about them, but we need to use wisdom. Because if not, we will be misunderstood. Have you ever said something and been misunderstood? We need the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus was misunderstood. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. As we look at our culture so many times, sometimes we pray for boldness, but we pull back with fear because we don't want to be misunderstood. One of my biggest fears is being misunderstood. So sometimes we'll be quiet, won't we? Right? Better for a fool to be quiet and thought wise than to say something and prove they're a fool, right? But I'm telling you, we, we can't be silent. But we can't just be about just saying whatever comes in. We need to be men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead us and to guide us. So I'm going to lead us in this response time. And there's one thing, there's several things that I want to say. The first thing I want to say is that every act of following God begins with prayer. Prayer is not the end. Prayer is the beginning. See, when we pray, we're, we're not telling God what to do. We're bearing our heart to him, and then we're listening. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. But our lives need to be lives where we're laying our lives. The Holy Spirit is convicting us. He's removing sin because sin will block your ears. Pride will block your ears from hearing God because we approach him in humility. The Holy Spirit convicts us. It reveals to us. And so we pray, and we say, God, what would you have me do? We pray for the victims and the families. Can you imagine getting a call? I have four kids in school. Their friends are in my house. I see all these beautiful young men and women. Don't you love our teenagers today? They're all... This breaks our heart. We pray for them. We pray for the teachers. We pray for everybody that walks in that school, the administration staff, the custodians, everybody that walks in that school. We need to be men and women that are praying for them, saying, God, will you guide them in truth? God, will you protect them? And when we don't know how to pray, we say, Holy Spirit, show me how to pray for them. Show me how to cover them. Show me what you would have me do. Show me how I can bless our schools. See, blessing our schools and being involved, it doesn't mean you agree with everything that goes on. Being involved in a school means that I so appreciate 
that you're pulling together, you're loving these children, you're teaching them, how can I help, how can I bless you? That's why we pull weeds every August over at Ridgecrest. We're like, what can we do? How can we be involved? God needs to speak to you in that. Some things will be obvious, some things not so obvious. So we're going to pray. The Bible also tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And that's a long process. But the Lord will also lead you into practical steps of things to do. How many of you have asked yourself this week, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? Raise your hand. Is that your question? God, what would you have me do? Lord, where would you have me go? How can I be a part of helping and loving my community? You've called me to love my neighbor. I'm in. God, what what do I do? How do I do this? Lord, transform my mind. There's so much going on in my mind right now. I need your Holy Spirit to renew and to regenerate me. Because we need to step out empowered by the Holy Spirit, controlling our tongue, controlling our actions. And even as a body of Christ, there's things we do individually, but what does that mean for us at Shoreline Community Church? How do we respond? He's pulled us together. What does that mean? We don't want to just be reactive. We want to be unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ, allow him to speak to us and through us and say, okay, God, what would you have us do? We're looking for ways to be involved, whether it's landscaping a school, being involved, giving paper to a school, whatever it is. We see those little things that we can see that are very easy to do. What else would you have us do? Shoreline Community Church. I'd like to lead us here in a time for prayer. One of the first things I'd like to do is if you are if you are a school teacher, a school administrator, if you are involved in education in any way, a student here going to school, anywhere in any form or fashion, you're at the front desk, you go in and you volunteer, you go after school and you're tutoring these children. Would you stand to your feet right now so that we can pray for you? We need to surround you. All teachers, come on. All teachers, all students, I see it. Stand up, guys. Administrators, you're at the front desk. Whatever you do. Isn't this a wonderful group? These teachers and administrators, they're not involved in there for the big paycheck of teaching in public school. They're doing it sacrificially because they love students, because they care. Would you join me in praying for them, praying for our our students? I love our youth. I love what's happening in your lives. I love how you're seeking the Lord. God has placed all of you as a light into that place. Because it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's tempted. But I want to pray today that the Holy Spirit would fill you and enable you and empower you and empower all of us. So would you just reach out? If they're next to you, just put a hand on their shoulder. But just just reach out. Let's pray for these people today. And don't just let me pray. I want you to pray. Pray for power. Pray for protection. Pray for wisdom. Give a prayer of thanks for what they're doing. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our youth. Lord, elementary, junior high, high school, college, Lord, These are a gift to us. We thank you for them. And Lord, we know that they are walking down a path that has changed so much from when I was in school. The temptation, Lord, the dangers, all the things that are going on. Lord, we pray for protection and an empowerment in their lives. Oh, God, Lord, may you use them. When they face situations where they don't know what to do, may your Holy Spirit speak to them and guide them and empower them and enable them to do more than they could ask, more than they could imagine, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes as we walk through places of education, Lord, to see those that are on the margins, those that maybe they, they feel left out for whatever reason. I used to be one of those kids. Lord, I pray you'd open our eyes for ways to pull them in, ways to love them, that we wouldn't just do what's comfortable, but that we would reach out with the gospel. That's what you did. You did that to my life. You did that to all of our lives.
The Lord used them and empowered them. We thank you for our teachers, our administrators, those that sit at the front desk, those that go in and tutor, those that mop the halls, everyone that's there. I pray you would empower and protect them and use them, Lord, as a light where they are. Lord, I pray for our principals in this area. I pray for our administrators, Lord, in this entire school district and area. And Lord, all over the country, God, that they would be men and women, that there would be a hunger in their lives for you. God, that you would bless them. God, that you would protect them. God, that you would surround them. And that in every community, the body of Christ would look for ways to be with our schools, to stand with our schools. Holy Spirit, show us those that are hurting, even in this place today. Those that are hurting, those that feel left out, those that feel alone. Those that maybe they walked in this place today and said, I'm giving God one more chance. Are you real, God? Lord, may they know you today and reveal it to us, oh God. And Lord, we pray. We pray for these communities like Santa Fe that have been going through so much. Would you just stand with me, just lift your voice in prayer. Let's pray for the families this morning. Come on, lift your voice. Lord, speak healing, oh God. Speak hope, oh God. Show us how to mourn with them, oh God. Show us. Each teacher, each administrator, everybody at the front desk, Lord, every, all those involved, Lord, we pray for them in their hurt, in their loneliness. May they find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Every first responder, Lord, bless them, empower them, and use them, I pray. Lord, I pray that you would show us as individuals what we would do, but show us as a body of Christ what you would have us to do. Amen, Shoreline? Lord, show us. You've called us to love our neighbor, to love this community that we are in. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, oh God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, so many people are afraid of what Jesus talked about, and they even take this section of Scripture and they pull it out. Speaking in tongues, what does that mean? What is that about? You know, I was... I was afraid of it as a teenager, and here was my fear. There were two things. I would see people who would speak in tongues, and I would see them walk outside of the church doors and not be very loving to me. Have you ever witnessed that, right? They had the dance. They had the show. But as soon as we got outside the doors, my hair was too long. I was playing basketball on Sundays. It was all this stuff that would just kind of come in that, that was very weird to me as a child. And so I kind of backed off. But God began to move in my heart and say, you know what? Don't put your eyes on men and women. Put your eyes on me. And Jesus even said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, has surrendered their life to Christ. And there are people along the way in a learning curve. So I'm not saying they weren't Christians. I'm just saying we all got hurt habits and hangups and stuff and junk, Right? But what I'm saying to you is we, we look to Jesus, we, we look to the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we cast aside every weight, and we say, God, what would you do in my life? And for some of you today, maybe this is your first time, and they're like, man, he talks about tongues, I knew it. But what I'm telling you today, don't be fearful. What happened to me, this youth Speaker came to our area way up in eastern Newfoundland, so you knew he loved God. He came all that way up, okay? And he asked if he could pray for me, and I said, well, I'm kind of scared. Why? I said, well, one, I told him what I just told you, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that nothing will happen. I'll pray and nothing will happen. And he didn't yell. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't do any of that. He just looked at me and he said, well, 
Don't you think God would want to fill you with his spirit? Don't you believe that God loves you and that he would want to empower you? And just keep seeking the Lord. He's like, do you want that? I was like, yeah, I want that love. <laughs> Dwayne loves love. And for me, about an hour and a half later, I came to and I, and I was speaking a language I'd never learned. And the Lord did this work in my life, this precious work that when I look back, I was at a crossroads in high school. I was at, at this crossroads. Is this real? And God began to empower me. I wasn't perfect Dwayne Monday morning, but I was now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit began to work in my life. He worked in my prayer language of praying, praying in the Spirit, like Paul says. So what I want to say to you that if you're hungry for the Lord and you're saying, Lord, please fill me, fill my life with the Holy Spirit, I need to be empowered. I need you. Open your life to it. We have prayer teams, prayer teams, if you would just go to the side. There would, and we have prayer teams up here. If you want someone to pray with you, or you can just stay where you are and say, Lord, I'll empower my life. Be with me. But let's take some time today as we, as we respond and just freshen you again. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill us, to renew us, to empower us with all those things that are going on that we need his empowerment. Let's receive. Are you with me this morning, church? Are you with me in that? Let's just take some time. The worship team, they're just going to play. They might sing. If you want to pray with somebody, go pray with somebody. If you want to pray with me, I'll be down here. But let's respond to the word of the Lord this morning, inviting his empowerment to come and to fill our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.